Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Women in Pop podcast. It is Jet Tattersall here with you again. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Now, before we start our latest episode, we want to remind you of a couple of things happening in the world of Women in Pop. Firstly, issue seven of Women in Pop magazine will only be on the shelves for a few more weeks, so get to your nearest retailer now or purchase online at womeninpop.com forward slash subscribe. Jessica Malboy is on the cover and inside... We have features on Mabel, The Spice Girls, Aurora, Ricky Lee, Emily Sunday and more. And finally, on March 20, we are staging our very first ever live music event, Women in Pop Presents, featuring performances from Saya, Sarah Wolf and Marshes. We will be bringing female pop power to Gingers in Darlinghurst and tickets are on sale now at womeninpop.com forward slash live. Now. On to today's show. Our guest for this episode originally started her career as a dancer and is now a part of one of Australia's most successful country music acts, O'Shea. Since the band formed, they have scored four Australian Top 40 albums, nine number one singles on the country charts and three Golden Guitar Awards. Today, she is releasing her first ever album with her biological father, Rob Hurst of Midnight Oil, called The Lost and Found, a collection of blues, country, pop rock tracks and everything in between. And here she is to tell us all about it. It is, of course, Jay O'Shea. Hello, Jay, and welcome to Women in Pop. Thank you so much for having me, Jed. It's, a, it's an absolute privilege and honour to be here with you. Dude, happy launch day. Thank you. <laughs> Hooray, today's the day. You know, you wait for these things for so long and then, then the day rolls around and you're like, wow. This is the day it gets to fly off into the world. And to be honest, I kind of didn't even have as big a hopes as, as that to, from the beginning. I just thought if we could re- make a record together and I could give it to my children um, and it could just be like an heirloom, that would be enough. But the fact that I get to release it on Sony Music Australia and we've been able to run around town talking about it is just an absolute m- massive blessing. That is unbelievable. And I feel like maybe you need a little more injection from the fans. <laughs> oh, my God, of course you get to release it. And before I even get into the album, the album cover alone needs to be put on the wall. It's absolutely stunning. Like, oh, thank you. Well, I actually can't take personal credit for that. That's the wonderful uh, photography work of Robert Hambling, who also um, was kind enough to come and shoot a musical video for us for Pearl Shell Buttons. Um, he's worked with everybody from Chisel to Midnight Oil to Silver Chair, and he's just an incredible uh, visual artist. Gorgeous. Now, the album Lost and Found is quite momentous really isn't it I mean it's your first album outside of O'Shea and it's also your first album as I mentioned with your biological father Rob Hurst how did the album come about how did it come about well it's sort of um at the risk of sounding cheesy it came about pretty organically to be honest we had collaborated on a song together with my husband Mark O'Shea um we, we had collaborated on a song with Rob uh, for our record in 2014 and the song was a, a tribute to the late George Bender uh, tackling the coal seam gas mining issues that they have in Queensland. And so we put that, that song out and we were lucky enough to win a golden guitar for, the, for best video for that. And then we just didn't really think about collaborating again. I mean, we just get together. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Rob and his family live in the Northern Beaches. So when we get together, we just kind of hang out, you know, and, and enjoy each other's company. And so, um, but sometimes we'll pick up a guitar and, and and he would pick up a guitar and play me a chorus of this or a verse of that. And and um, to the fact, to the point where we actually both decided, how about we throw some songs at each other, start collaborating and just see where it leads without any pressure or any parameters 
you know, of what a father-daughter reunited should sound like. So we just slowly chipped away at songs. We started sending things backwards and forwards. And then we actually got together to do some writing and not just hang out, <laughs> but to actually do some writing. I, I went to Byron to stay with him and then he came to Nashville to record and, and write with me. And then um, before we knew it, we had a collection of about 14 songs that got culled down to 10. And we thought, let's record. Let's record them and see what happens. Um, and with that, that recording there again, we just had no pressure on what the style should be. We let the songs lead the charge and, and tell us what kind of instrumentation each one should have. So uh, that's probably why it's so eclectic sounding because one song was like, oh, this would sound really good with cello and, you know, some uh, some beautiful lush strings. And the other one was like, oh, this needs like a marching band and a trumpet on it or so, you know. So we just let it be what it wanted to be. And, and um, 10 tracks later, we've got a really eclectic mix of songs. It's ab- like it's absolutely stunning, and we were just talking off air about how eclectic that is. I want to briefly touch on the Truth Walk Slowly. Um, such an amazing song, as you mentioned, and you had your husband Mark as well as Rob there with you. If the listeners haven't seen the video, please immediately go and see it now, because not only have you got this beautiful song, but we've got that gorgeous visual and um, worded depiction of what actually happened with George, and it really. It, it needed to be said. Um, and actually, I just want to play that now because the song's incredible. So here is The Truth Walks Slowly. The truth walks slowly In the countryside Where the willow whispers a lonesome lullaby And the magpies dance by the Truth Walk Slowly, I imagine you had what a lot of Australians and what a lot of people globally had with, for instance, the fire or another natural disaster. You saw what was happening to landowners here in that country and you as a creative was thinking, oh God, is there something I can do if I'm not going to go out there myself physically? Can I maybe get a song together? I mean, what, what was the reasoning behind that for you? That's a great question. This song I felt I've always felt had its own path and I think it was guided. I really, without, at the risk of sounding like a complete lunatic and being off with the fairies, I really truly believe it was guided because um, of the way that it was that it came about. It, um, it came from uh, Rob had a solo release out, The Sun Becomes the Sea, a really beautiful solo record that he made. And it was one of the songs on that record, but it was this up-tempo, rocking, midnight oil sounding kind of track. And I remember driving around, I had the CD in my car, and I remember driving around town listening to it, and I remember hearing that track going, that sounds, the lyric in that, to me, sounds like a country lyric. And so he had said to me earlier, look, any of these songs, if you want to mess with them and you want to take them and take bits of them and rewrite some stuff or collaborate on something, please go ahead. So I asked him about that song and said, would you mind if I take... um, the Truth Walks Slowly, your version, and I slow it down and I rewrite verse lyrics and some melodies and then throw it back at you and see what you think. And he said, no, go for it. So Mark and I, you know, got together and we 
we uh, changed it all around and I was so nervous. I thought, oh, what if he thinks it's just I've completely wrecked this beautiful piece of art. But luckily he didn't and he he said, yeah, let's go for it. And so we ended up recording it in Nashville with um, producer Mark Mark Moffat and um, it went on the record and I didn't know at that point where it was going to end up, whether it would be a single or what it would do. But Mark's mother, who is uh, a beautiful, um, incredible lady who lives in the country in Dolby, Queensland, had nine children, um, and I think she has a direct line to God. I honestly think she's just she's a saint. She's just such a wonderful, giving, caring, kind woman. And um, she came to me uh, on one visit to Queensland and said, Jay, I think you guys need to tell the story of George Bender. Um, and they were fr- family friends. George and his family um, live out in Chinchilla, lived out in Chinchilla, and my husband's family are from Dolby, so it's very close. And she explained what had happened, and she's told us the story. And first of all, I couldn't believe that those were the laws. I didn't know. Neither did Mark. And we were just like, hang on, what, what, are, you, what, are, you t- what are you saying here? Like... You have your own farm and somebody can come on and start drilling on your land because you only own the first two metres of the top of the soil and the crown owns everything that's underneath that and they have every right to come on your land and start drilling, creating all sorts of complications uh, for your farm. And um, we just went, no, that can't be right. That just can't be right. And she said, yeah, it absolutely is. And it's the reason um, George was unfortunately bullied uh, and pressured for years and years and years by coal seam gas mining companies. Um, he didn't want them to come onto their land and drill, but he he fought a really great fight and he just got bullied to the point where he ended up taking his own life. And we just went, oh, that's that's disgusting. We need to tell that story. Australians need to know that. We know that they would be equally as disgusted if they actually knew the truth of the matter and how unfair that is to the farmers. So um, Mark reached out to Helen Bender, George's daughter, who's been fighting the good fight for many years, and she very graciously said, yes, I'd like to collaborate with you and um, we'd be um, interested in in letting us tell George's story. So Mark O'Shea, my husband... um, put together this amazing piece, this beautiful video. He makes all of our music videos and uh, went out into the world and uh, it spread a, it spread the message, it spread, it spread the truth, hence the name The Truth Walks Slowly. I think a lot of people were really shocked to hear that that is what, what's happening and those are the, the current laws in Queensland, Australia. Oh, it's unbelievable and you're so right because it, it's something that we don't know and to have it presented, I guess, in such a beautiful, creative way it's a calm way but at the same time it really really it really stuck with me mm. so um, I couldn't honestly I've seen it a gazillion times through the editing process and still to this day what six years later every time I see that music video I cry yeah you know it still has that kind of an impact on me and it should yeah it should have that kind of impact on everybody we should all be furious about it no that's exactly it so well done. Congratulations <laughs> and thank you for doing that. Well, thank you to Helen Bender and, and George Bender's family, really, for letting us tell the story. Absolutely. Now, you live in Tennessee, as you mentioned, while Rob is Sydney-based. The album itself, you said, was created in bits and pieces and you were sharing and eventually got together. 
Usually, however, you're working with your husband, Mark, and I'm guessing you're living together. So how was it? Really? <laughs> we, we do live together most of the time. <laughs> we yes. live together. Um, as opposed to keeping it family based. Mm. <laughs> what was it like to create music this way from such a distance, but still to have that closeness? It was really interesting because normally you collaborate together. You know, um, Mark and I do loads of co-writes, not only together, but with other co-writers in Nashville, other co-writers in Australia, and you're normally in the same room. Uh, Rob and I did a week of collaboration. As I said, I went to Byron to, to hang out there and we wrote a lot of songs just sitting out on the deck of his home there. And then... Um, and then I actually sent over, once we were back in our respective countries, I sent over like choruses or a verse here and he'd go, oh, I like that. Or he'd send over um, half a song and say, can you add some verse lyrics to this? What do you think? Do you like this or whatever? And so it was a really different way of working for me. But a really, really, it was it worked out really well because we had time. A lot of the times when you're working on projects, there's a deadline and you've got to get it out and you've got to get things finished quickly. Well, this one was just like, who knows whether this will even see the light of day? It doesn't even matter if it doesn't. So let's take our time and and really think about it and do what we just really want to do on it. And so there was it was probably about 18 months, I guess, from start to finish when we started working on it and until completion. So, you know, I just think about it and maybe you know a week later would write a verse or or have an idea and send it back and you go oh yeah I really like that or yeah that's cool how about this and you know it was just it was fun and it was an easy joyful process like you said you thought oh maybe we'll just give it to the kids one day which Mm. is so beautiful because without that pressure came that absolute you're you're writing and you're playing what you love and what you're sharing together. And it's so, so evident when listening to the album. Um, Like I said, what I love about the album is that eclectic sound. You're crossing realms of blues roots, country, stripped back rock, and even elements of electronic pop. And I know... We called it Atmos Pop, which came from Rob. And I went, hey, that's cool. We're going to use that. At Atmos Pop. I thought, um, oh, that sounds fancy. Let's Atmos go with that. Pop, Whatever that is out there <laughs> wanting to be cool, Atmos Pop. Right. Yeah, but I because do... there's not actually there's not there's hardly any electronic instruments. In fact, I don't think there's any electronica on the whole record. It's all real instruments. There's real instruments. But okay, mm. I'm going to jump forward here because I really wanted to talk to you about this. On the album, my favorite track is "The Hungry Sea." Uh, it's my absolute favorite, and it's you know you've got that. Just killer intro. And I was actually, when I was listening to it, I'm getting this kind of talking heads or even stripped back tears for Fearsville. Wow. Which is, I know, it's wow, not. That's so, that, I love those bands. That's a massive compliment. But that's what the sound is. And I'm like, you get that. And then you get into these beautiful, old, soulful, like country roots. So it's it, the thing about this album that I love, it is eclectic, but it's not like you've just gone, oh, there's a song, there's a song, there's a song we love. Like it all still tells the one story. And I guess that comes from both of you being such great storytellers. Oh, gosh, thank you. First of, um, first and foremost, I feel like we, Rob and I connected musically, I think, because of because we both love stories. Uh, you know, we, we, he's, a, he's just a phenomenal storyteller. Um, he has this really unique gift of being able to tell a story with this beautiful poetry wrapped around it. You know, he doesn't just, it's not sort of literal. He, he can write something and get the point across and really, really dig his, dig his heels in and, um, and the listener will know exactly what he's talking about it, but he'll, he'll tell it with such sweet poetry and that's such a skill. 
I want to get I want to be better at that. You know, I, I've, I'm learning from him all the time, which is really fun. Um, but I love storytelling and, and country music is very much about storytelling. So that's my wheelhouse. That's where I live most of the time. Do you think going on from that, there's that thing about country music. And of course, I mean, you're in Nashville, so country music is massive in the US and you're in one hell of a location for it. Australia's own country music has always been there, but up until recently, you were either like diehard, a Cooper hat, double denim, like, you know what I mean? At Ooh, the crowd. Double denim. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> I've, I've been guilty of that, actually. It's so smart. <laughs> he loves a good double denim. He, he will often do, he's got this great denim shirt. He'll often do a double denim. <laughs> do you, does he point it out like he knows yes, what he's he doing? As long as he's aware of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, he's aware of it. He's well aware of it. You don't he's, need to have an intervention. Yeah. He's no. like, oh, I've got this. <laughs> got this. I know. Yep, <laughs> going for the double I denim. I look like Justin yeah. Timberlake and Britney Spears. <laughs> um, but it was as if liking country music was for, for the rest of us it was either like a dirty secret unless you yes. had that rural understand of pie however now i feel like with this generation that's come out it's it's country music cool again yes it's cool <laughs> thank goodness thank the lord that everybody's caught on because and we've, we've lived in nashville for 12 years and we got to experience the new wave of country when we first got there and we were like oh, this is so cool and Australia would love this because it's so rootsy and earthy and cool sounding, you know, and Australia wasn't getting a lot of it, unfortunately, back back then. And now it is. And now there are the all these wonderful festivals that um, country music artists can come and play. So, uh, you know, folks are being able to get out, see some live music, and they're realising, oh, I like this this sort of country, whereas maybe if they didn't like some, some of the traditional stuff, which I personally like, but if they didn't like some of the traditional stuff, they're going, oh, this is really cool. This new wave of country is really cool. So I think the genre has definitely expanded, and I think that's a brilliant thing because, it, it, as you said, it's massive in America, huge. And you're right when you said, you know, it's it was a dirty little secret. It was kind of like shameful or embarrassing to like it, and I think all of that hopefully has changed. Every time I come back into the country, I see more and more fans and I see more and more people switching on with the comment of, oh, I didn't realise that I liked country. I didn't realise I liked this country music, but I really love this. I love this band and their country, you know. Well, that's the thing. You're you're right. I think because it was we were so far removed from it, we just went, oh, oh I can't like that if I'm not country because it was, so, again, it's it's almost like, I've made this reference reference before. Country music almost had that same feeling of death metal. Like if you like, if you're into death metal, you are in it a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Don't just tip your toe into yeah. that. Like you are Judas Priest. Yeah, that's right. And country, you don't music. accidentally like country no. music. <laughs> Whereas now you do. You're right, and you do. Yeah. You catch us going. Was that? Did I like a? Was that a country song? That, did oh, I? Apparently, that's a country band. Oh, I love that, and I'm actually I might even buy it. Yeah. Oh, look at me. Ooh, country music fan all of a sudden. But I think yeah. what it is, and like you mentioned, it's the storytelling element and particularly with the world where it's going today, people are looking for their roots. People are looking for their ancestors. People are looking where they're from. People are going back to, to old trades. Like people are making their own gin at home. You know what I mean? People <laughs> want. No, <laughs> they're making their own gin? They are. Really? These I've got to get into in a bit sea. of that. <laughs> Make Do you have any good recipes? <laughs> but they're wanting stories. They're wanting origins. 
Um, Very much so. I totally agree with that. Um, I, don't, I, I guess it is a new thing. Uh, my, my personal story, I definitely wanted to find my origins because I was an adopted child. Um, I didn't so much want to find my, my birth parents when I was a child. I was perfectly happy. I, woke, I grew up with a wonderful mum and dad in a beautiful, loving, caring environment. Great childhood. And then I got to sort of 19, 20, and I, I just felt like something was missing. And it wasn't mum and dad's fault. It wasn't my family's fault. It was just something innately in me that felt like I needed to know my, my roots, my heritage. I needed to f- really fully understand who I was. And I went searching. And I hit brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. I eventually got my birth records and then... Um, found out that they were fabricated, which was heartbreaking because that meant I I couldn't ever find my birth parents and that my search was over. So I had to grieve that at the time, put it away, put it to bed and just try and get on with life and be happy with everything that I have, which I, I truly was at the time. And then out of the blue, um, I get, get this crazy email, 3 a.m. 3, 3 I woke up in Nashville, which I never wake up, I'm the heaviest sleeper. 3 a.m. I woke up and uh, like a light bulb went off and I checked my phone and there was an email from Family Community Services in Adelaide saying, hi, Jay, um, your birth mother has made contact. How would you like us to proceed? And I just bolted upright in bed and just started bawling my eyes out because I knew it was real. I knew that the connection had been made. I felt it. And poor Mark um, woke up and thought that somebody had died, of course, you know, us living over overseas. We always worry about, you know, family members back here. And uh, over the next few days, I got to find out my whole story. My birth mother sent a 10-page email detailing everything that happened and, you know, family members and gave me so much information. So, um, yeah, it was an incredible story. And the, the crazy thing is that she told me who my birth father was. My birth mother is actually an opera singer. And then I found out that my birth father is Rob Hurst from Midnight Oil. So it was sort of like, oh... The penny dropped and I was like, that's why I am the way I am. I've always wanted to do music. It's always been a part of of my soul and I, I've really had no other choice but to do music my entire life. Like I would have probably chosen something a bit easier <laughs> or a bit steadier, but I, it's just been in my blood, you know, and I went, oh, I, I completely get it now. Now the crazy thing was is that Rob's uh, best friend of 20 years, uh, the bass player of Midnight Oil, was a friend of mine in Nashville, a really close friend of mine, and he was due to come over for game night on the Monday night. I, I got my information on the Friday, and Bones and his wife were due to come over for game night. What's on the game night? Oh, you know, like you're just playing all sorts of crazy adult card games and things like that. I have love a couple that. of glasses of wine. <laughs> this is before the kids. Um and so they were due to come over and I was like, how are we going to tell Bones Hillman that his best friend is my father? It's like something out of The Bold and the Beautiful, you know, like Mossimo is your father. I don't know if you know anything about <laughs> Bold and the Beautiful, but I, I sure did. Um, so we left it and thought I thought that I'd get a phone call over the weekend. I thought that what, either one of them would call me and say, what just happened? What is going on? But I didn't. I didn't get the phone call. And they show up. And they're like, hey, how you going? You know, and I said to Mark, they don't know. They don't how so we have to break it to them. Rob didn't tell them over the weekend. It's our job to sit down and break the news to them. So we did. We sat down, told them the whole story. We're all crying. And then all of a sudden the phone rings and Bones picks up his phone 
and it's Rob. And he says, hi, mate, how are you going? Yeah, she just told me the news. I can't even believe it. And he said, yeah, do you want to do you want to talk to her? And I was sitting opposite the, 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 the table from Bones with my birth father on the phone for the first time in my entire life. And he handed me the phone. So he actually introduced us. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's crazy. That is such a beautiful story. Mm. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't write it. It's so strange. So Bones had been uh, sharing uh, Super 8 footage of the band with us because um, Mark and Bones were going to work on a project and he was showing some footage that he ha- he'd had of the band so that uh, Mark could actually see this particular style of Super 8. And I didn't realise the whole time that I was looking at my birth father. You know, there were posters of the band on the walls that I would walk past every time I'd go to their house and not realise, oh, that's you. that's my birth father right there. That's incredible. So, yeah. And also what I love about that story is the fact that you mentioned, I mean, everyone's always cons- not concerned, everyone's always debating that nature versus nurture. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you are just that prime example of it's in the DNA. Something, the music is in the DNA there as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, I think it's sort of und- undeniable. I've, I've heard a lot of other people's stories on that too. And one in particular, very quickly, is a really close friend of mine in Nashville is a heart surgeon, a baby heart surgeon. And they unfortunately had to give away their child, their firstborn child, because uh, they were very young and they were still in college. And so they gave away the, their first child. They later went and found her and she was a baby heart surgeon. What? Yeah. So she had gone to college. She had not only chosen surgery, she had chosen chosen heart surgery and then baby heart surgery. So... I mean, That's if, it, if incredible. it's incredible, so it's it's proof. There's proof all around of it um, that genetics are incredibly strong. And I also love that all those stories that we've just discussed just completely encapsulates even the title of your album, Lost and Found. Like it's it's absolutely incredible. And before I get off the topic, I'm just going to play The Hungry Sea right now because I want Jay and the listeners to hear that little talking heads, tears for fears, Phil. Here is The Hungry Sea. Jay, lastly, before we go, what is up next for you? What's up next? Well, uh, glad you asked. <laughs> We've got uh, our fifth record coming out on Sony Music Australia, our fifth O'Shea record with my husband. We're almost finished, actually. We've got a couple more tracks to do it, and then we're done with it, and we're super excited. It's really fun. A lot of fun songs on it. It's country. It's straight up the guts country music. Listeners, you, you, you've heard we're, we're doing this now. We're admitting it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's not a dirty little secret. We, we're country artists. Um, but it's very fun. There's a there's uh, a couple of little political points in there that we've we've gotten. Um, but there's a lot of fun stuff on there too. And so we'll, we'll definitely be re- releasing that later this year and coming out and doing a bunch of shows. And obviously when you do, we're going to be there and come back in and chat to us. <laughs> oh, we would love to. As, as long as it's... It, 
it's we, I'll be cool enough to bring my country music. It's totally in. cool. We're going to wear the hats. I'm going to double denim <laughs> no, with Mark. D- how about we all double denim <laughs> and we just you know chew on a piece of straw while we'll we're make, there? Yeah, we'll make it a day. Yeah, National yeah. double yeah. denim day. Yeah. Women in pop. <laughs> Jay, thank you so much for chatting with us today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Jay. Jay's album with Rob Hurst, The Lost and Found, is out today across all retailers and all platforms. So do make sure you download and stream it as much as you can. And before we go, don't forget Women in Pop magazine issue seven with Jessica Malboy on the cover is out now in a store near you and you can also buy it online at womeninpop.com forward slash subscribe and our very first live event Women in Pop Presents is on March 20 with performances from Saya, Sarah Wolf and Marshes. Tickets are on sale now at womeninpop.com forward slash live Thank you all so much for listening today We will be back again soon Until then, from myself and the gorgeous Jay O'Shea Goodbye Thanks so much for having me Jet. and right back at you gorgeous woman, that was so fun Mm -hmm.